0: Last Sunday, I preached to us about the most important decision, decisions we will ever make. Who do we say that Jesus is, and will we follow him or not? And I talked to us about why we should want to follow Jesus, simply because none of us has the strength to overcome our own propensity to sin, and none of us has the power to defeat our own death. As the old adage goes, we are all sinners in need of a savior, and thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is that savior for us and for the whole world by his cross and by his resurrection. And when we make that decision to follow Jesus, at least two things happen. First, we become adopted. Adopted into the eternal family of our Heavenly Father. Welcomed into the open arms of His love, His mercy, His grace, and His forgiveness. But there's a second thing we become. We become soldiers. The imagery I've used several times and is worth repeating comes to us from C.S. Lewis. When the children meet Father Christmas in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe... He doesn't give them basketballs and Barbie dolls and, God forbid, a cell phone, but he equips them with swords and daggers and potions and bows and arrows. And the children aren't quite sure why they're getting these gifts, and they don't know how to use them, but soon enough soon enough they will learn that they are in a world that is at war. And not only will they be required to choose which side they are on, like it or not, and not only will they realize that there is no escaping this battle like it or not, even more so, they will realize that as they take their stand for good... They attain to themselves those lofty ideals to which we all should aspire. Things like dignity and honor and valor and maturity, even things like nobility, son of Adam, daughter of Eve, and glory. After all, these things have been fashioned for us by the King of kings and Lord of lords, both for our benefit in the economy of our own salvation and sanctification, but also, as we know, for the world to see, that they too may know where to find Jesus on this earth. Indeed, we Christians are the ones who should be standing up straight And holding our heads up high. And not with the prideful arrogance we see in those who are feigning these virtues. But with the sense of dignity and worth that comes from knowing who we are because we know whose we are. Now, make no mistake, God in Christ Jesus has already won the war against sin and death. By his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus Christ has mortally wounded the devil. But as the analogy goes, our circumstances are something like many of the wars of antiquity. Where the enemy is defeated and victory is declared, yet there are still some battles being fought in the aftermath... Because not everyone had yet received the good news. How many today have not yet heard the gospel? How many today do not yet know that Jesus has won the war? And this, this, my friends, is why we Christians are called into the conflict. Because as much as we ourselves know the victory that God in Christ Jesus has won for us, and as much as we ourselves have experienced the benefits of his victory over sin and death, freedom, forgiveness, the fullness of joy that comes by being reconciled to him, we also know that there are so many in this world, many who are still held in bondage to the devil, imprisoned by his lies, And we want them to know. In fact, we need them to know. Be loosed from your chains and find the same forgiveness and freedom that we have found. So God gives us a plan. Good for you. Some of you have already opened your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 on page 920. The rest of you would maybe want to do so or find it on your iPhone or cell phone as the case may be. Even as I spoke against them earlier, but here we go. I want us to take a moment to study his divine plan for victory. How to battle and how to build. I want you to keep those two ideas in mind as we go along. How to battle and how to build. First in verse 10, Paul writes finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His. You've opened them, right? (laughs) Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And my friends, the point here is pretty simple and fairly straightforward, and it is also of first importance. We cannot win this conflict in our own strength. In fact, Jesus tells us in John 15:5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Not Something, not a few things, apart from him, we can do nothing. You see, the Christian life is not primarily about us. Not primarily about what I can do or you can do or even what we can do together. The Christian life is about the good things that Jesus Christ is doing in us and through us and among us. You see, if we're just talking about ourselves then aren't we the ones who get the glory? And what power do we in ourselves have to save anybody? Should I answer that for us? (laughs) But when we start talking about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that's the game changer in this world. So I went to Seattle last week and... I asked the Uber driver to meet me here at the church. She struggled a little bit to find it, so I grabbed my suitcase and walked down the street to meet her at the corner gas station. Turns out she was from Nigeria. Turns out she was a Christian from Nigeria. Turns out she was an Anglican Christian from Nigeria. So, by the time we were finished in our Uber ride up to the airport, we were singing songs, <laughs> sharing stories, and praying prayers for one another. And then I got on the airplane. And there I was, minding my own business, as I often do, just trying to get a little Bible study done in pre- preparation for the sermon for you on Sunday morning. And I'm reading the commentary out of the book of Ephesians, and then I go on to other things. And at the airplane, at the end of the airplane ride, the guy who's sitting next to me looks at me and he says, I noticed you were reading a commentary on the book of Ephesians. He said, What do you do for a living? I said, I don't know. (laughs) And after we got through the small talk, he said, I'm a deacon in my church. He said, God bless you. For carrying the torch in this world. And I said God bless you. For carrying the torch in this world. And within five short hours. I had encountered a sister and a brother in Christ. That I will have the pleasure of getting to know throughout all of eternity. That's the nature of the good news right? We want to share it with others. We feel compelled to share it with others. We really can't help ourselves because it's good news Come and see this thing that I've found. Come and be a part of this amazing Christian community. So let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Because this part requires us to make a critical decision. My friends, we have to know who the enemy is. And equally, we have to know who the enemy is not. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Paul continues, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the schemes of the devil. And we'll get to that part in just a minute. But here's the point in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now let's be honest, I'll be honest, how about that? I suspect this is one of the most difficult things that we do as human beings. In a world where it is so tempting and easy to vilify, to marginalize, and to dismiss the other, again, we Christians must, we must remember who the enemy is, And who the enemy is not. We do not battle against flesh and blood. From our best friend to our worst enemy, every person, every single person has intrinsic dignity and worth. Why? Because we are all. All, all means all. We are all made in the likeness and image of God. So whether this flesh and blood is a member of the Taliban, or ISIS, or the opposing political party, whatever that may be, or another race, or another religion, or maybe even that football team you don't like here in a couple of weeks, I'm aware that football's in front of us. Therefore, our battle is not against what is seen, meaning other people, but against what is unseen, meaning the demons and the devils of this world. These are the forces of evil in the heavenly places that Paul is talking about, and they manifest themselves. That is, they make themselves known in people through the ideas and the ideologies that oppose the things of God. That's how that works if you never knew. And if we believe them, They bind us into a web of lies that hold us in bondage to them. Even so, as Christians, we must uphold the dignity and worth of every human being. Why? Because there, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. So if and as our battle is not against flesh and blood, then how do we fight? I'm glad you asked. First, in the next verse, Paul tells us to fasten the belt of truth around our waist. Fasten the belt of truth around our waist, and I'd like to think of it this way. Sin and death entered the world when Adam and Eve believed a lie of the devil. That's how sin got here. And Jesus says to us in response, you shall know the truth... And the truth shall set you free. Therefore, our first priority as Christians is honesty. Truthfulness that requires transparency and authenticity. The Bible says we are to speak the truth in love to each other. And it's not always easy to do. But hear this. It is the first step in defeating the lies of the devil. That's how we do it. We tell the truth. In love. Second Paul talks about a breastplate of righteousness. So, what is the effect of believing a lie? The effect of believing a lie is that we become unrighteous, bent over. To be unrighteous is to be sinful or wicked or corrupted. Where? In our hearts. But the good news in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is to say that in him, in Jesus, in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. And the point is this. Without this righteousness of, of God covering us, our heart is openly exposed to sin. When the righteousness of God is not covering our heart, it is openly exposed to sin. But when we cover ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness, we are preparing to do battle. Then Paul tells us to ready our feet with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Why is it that the gospel of peace is upon our feet? It is because the issuance of peace is not passive, it is active. In a sinful and broken world, peace is not passive, it is active. When we see someone in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, we do not simply stand there and watch them suffer any more than Jesus stood by and watched us suffer. No, we enter in. We engage. We walk toward and we resist the temptation to walk away, as Martin Luther King Jr. once said, for evil to succeed All it needs is for good men and women to do nothing. For evil to succeed, all it needs is for good men and women to do nothing. And then Paul tells us to take up this shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Folks, we got to know this, and we can't be afraid of it. In fact, it requires great courage of us because the devil doesn't just freely hand somebody over he doesn't easily give up the ones he has in captivity in fact the scripture's clear he fires back at us with flaming arrows when we attack him we can be sure of this he is going to fight back he's going to do that So we take up our shield of faith in Jesus Christ to extinguish his flaming arrows, and as Paul says next, we put on the helmet of salvation. Why? To protect our minds as we prepare to go on the offensive. The great reformer Martin Luther once said, the only way to drive away the devil is through faith in Christ by saying, I have been baptized. I have been baptized, I am a Christian. And in his deepest times of distress, knowing the battles that he himself was called to fight, he would say to himself over and over again, I am baptized. Why? To keep the objective truth of God in his mind so he would stay out of the subjective lies that the devil uses to try and destroy us. And as for this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, this is one of two offensive weapons that we have in our armor. For as Paul says to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, men, we're going to be studying this at our upcoming retreat. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. How do we prepare to attack the devil? We read our Bibles. We know our Bibles. And we use our other weapon, which is prayer. Paul says to pray at all times in the spirit, keeping alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints and also praying for him. Why? So that he may be given the words to boldly proclaim the gospel. So now that we know what it is to be equipped, let's take a look at the playing field. The devil, my friends, is not trying to attack non-Christians. Hear me clearly on this. The devil's not trying to attack non-Christians. Why? He already has them in bondage. He already has them in bondage. The devil is trying to attack the church. He's trying to attack Christians. That's you and that's me. We are the ones that he's after. And here are the three main ways that he attacks us. Persecution, division, and confusion. Persecution, division, and confusion. Among the first Christians and still today, the devil has tried persecution, believing that it will cause us to cower in fear. Fear. Thank God that the history of Christianity has revealed something else. As church father Tertullian would say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So second, the devil, the second attack that the devil launched was church division. Following the great ecumenical councils of the first thousand years, he finally got us. He got us. Once the split came to the east and the west, we left a middle wide open for him to run right through it. And so he did. And in launching the attack of division successfully, he prepared for his third attack, which was confusion. What now? Roman Catholicism? Eastern Orthodoxy, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican, Assemblies of God, non-denominational. Which of the 40,000 different denominational doctrines am I supposed to follow? Church we've got to do. We've got to do better than this. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one. That we would be one. Why? So that the world would know that the Father sent him. And Jesus also declared in Matthew 12 that a house divided cannot stand. So, if we're going to stand in the face of this world, we know what to do. It's time to battle, and it's time to build. Battling against the principalities and the powers of the spiritual forces of wickedness in this world, neither fighting against flesh and blood, nor using the earthly weapons of the world that divide and destroy, but instead taking on the devil to tear down his dominion with the spiritual weapons that God has given us. And we must battle so that we can build. First building up our own spiritual strength here at Christ the Redeemer by worshiping and studying and praying and going on mission. And then building the kingdom of God in the world around us by becoming like the early and undivided church who in their unity were neither afraid of the rulers of this world nor ashamed of the gospel. But they built relationships with anyone and everyone who would listen so that they might win some to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and invite them into the one fellowship of the church. They built a church that was at unity with itself and that became a refuge against the wicked ways of this world. Now, I don't have all the answers for how this can happen. I have plenty of ideas for those who care to listen. But I do know we have to do this. And I know that God has a plan and he's given us the weapons to fight And I know that our job is to do our part. And having done all, as Paul says, to stand. To stand firm. So that finally we can stand together around that glorious throne in God's heaven with our brothers and sisters from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the perfection of freedom and in the fullness of fellowship as we hear those blessed words Well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so to God be the glory now and forever. Amen.